Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, welcome back to Ausbiz. We kick off the afternoon uh, just gone midday, as we always do with the call. Ten stocks that you suggest, or we put your suggestions to uh, two experts and the panel today. Andrew Page from Strawman.com, the uh, investment club, isn't it? Andrew, right. good to see you. Thanks, How's Josh. your week been? Yeah, very good. Be good. Yeah, yeah. Yep, no complaints. Any changes within the straw man community? Are, uh, they, are they going more defensive or? Uh, no, not not just yet. I'm the the main stocks sort of that have dominated is still there. A bit different sort of fiddling around the edges, perhaps, but no right. wholesale changes that we've noticed yet. Ah, okay. Mm. Uh, we had an interesting one yesterday on the call. Eye candy. Has that come up on straw? It hasn't. Man yet? No, not that I've yeah. seen. No, it's a gaming. Um, oh, okay. Uh, not not in terms of betting, but in. Uh, gaming Phone with Fortnite game. and oh, all that sort of oh, stuff. Oh, that's huge. Yeah, uh, yeah. An Australian one. So it was fascinating. Interesting. I'll check a bit it out. about that. Yeah. And uh, Michael Wayne from uh, Medallion Financial is with us. Michael, good to see you. Thanks for having me, Koshi. Uh, how clients, Medallion clients, yeah. per- perceiving the market at the moment? It's been a bit choppy, hasn't it? I mean, since basically May, the ASX hasn't gone too far. We've been down yeah. you know, four of the last five weeks underperform in the US again. So it hasn't been the easiest couple of months, I must admit, but we are looking forward to the AGM season and there's always a mini reporting season for yeah. in November for those companies reporting out of cycle. So there's yeah. always something to look forward to and yeah. get excited about. Yeah, we get into that AGM season now and it'll be interesting to see if we get any guidance on well, the future from any of the companies. Well, that was a big thing out of this reporting season. A lot of management teams were quite resistant and reticent <laughs> to give guidance and you can understand why but as yeah. the clouds start to clear hopefully these companies are starting yeah. to feel a bit more confident on the outlook yeah in fact just on that i always choose a stock of the day before we get into your suggestions um making news today uh Kathmandu, the uh the big outdoor clothing company um deciding to scrap its final dividend after reporting an 85 percent fall in net profit the result uh, driven by pandemic-related lockdowns and costs tied to its purchase of Ripkill. Uh, now, the clothing retailer estimates the pandemic took the company for more than $135 million bucks. However, the online pivot did boost revenue by around 50% to over $800 million New Zealand dollars. While same-store sales have been mixed over the first seven weeks of uh, fiscal 2021, uh, Xavier Simonet, the uh, chief executive, says... The business retains a strong balance sheet, well-positioned, looking ahead. Um, what's your view on, on Kathmandu, Michael? Clothing retailers, very difficult. Yeah. Um, it's always been quite cyclical as well, Kathmandu. And I think last time this came up, um, essentially there's always something wrong. It's either too hot or too cold, <laughs> keeping the customers away. Obviously, COVID's yeah. been a real big challenge for them. They're not one of the retailers that have benefited from, from COVID. Uh, and it's hard to see when all those clouds again will, will lift for them. So from our perspective, it's not one that we're too keen on. Uh, yeah. It's a very cyclical business. You'll see that in the balance sheets. So for that reason, we Because some, some retailers have done well, as that share price shows there, they're, yeah. they're not being well liked by the market. You compare that with uh, uh, Nick Scarley, JB Hi-Fi, even Harvey Norman, yeah. um, totally different. That's right. Um, they've stuck same store sales. Their physical presence has been doing poorly. Um, yeah. They're not as reliant on the online space. People haven't been necessarily shopping as much for new fashions as they have for electronics. So they've been really struggling. Even before COVID, they weren't doing that well. Uh, And COVID's really been another sort of nail in their coffin. Mm. Mm. Kathmandu? Yeah, I I have similar uh, reservations about uh, retailers in general, clothing retailers in particular. It's just a super tough business. Um, I mean, I guess if you sort of normalise things out and you look at a very long-term view, earnings are sort of ticked ahead at an average pace at sort of that mid to upper single digit. It's not, not terrible at all. Um, this result was a bit muddy. I need to spend a bit more time picking through it because there was a nine-month contribution from Ripcoil, big acquisition yeah. they made last yeah. year. 
Um, that's a hell of a cliff. Everyone fell off a cliff in March, but a lot of retail, other retailers have come back much better than that, haven't yeah. they? Yeah. Yeah. This, this, so the, the bulls will argue that you know when when restrictions do lift, you know people are going to be doing perhaps a lot more outdoor type activity mm. Um, mm. and much more uh, holidaying in their backyard, and that this could be a good thing. And, and that is all is all true. But again, I, I come back to a lot of these ones where where they have been so um, overtly impacted by COVID. It, we seem to have this assumption that it is, it's always nine to 12 months a year and then everything's back to normal. Yeah, yeah. And, and maybe, maybe it is. I just, I just can't form a really high conviction on that view to, to take a position in, the, in these yeah. businesses. I think what, you, what you're probably best doing is what you should probably do anyway with a lot of investments is sort of take that five, 10 year view. Is this business around at that stage? Is it materi- earning materially more than it, than it is? Um, and, and then take, take, take advantage of a discounted price. But just know that it's going to be very, very volatile yeah. uh, up and down uh, along the way. I want a really big fat margin of safety in there. Come yeah. up with a value and then maybe hope for get 20% yeah. below that. You might have to be a bit patient, but um, that's when I think you can do yeah. well with the retail. This is probably, depending if, if they can pick things up a bit this year, is probably on a forward PE of 20, um, which historically is very high for a retailer of that kind yeah. of, of growth. But in this low interest rate world, you could probably make an argument. But for me right now, it's it's just yeah, there's, and, there's and the way you work things. through these sorts of stocks. Uh, correct me if I'm I'm wrong because I'm interested to see how you think. Sort mm-hmm. of you have a retail segment of your portfolio, and you have look at Kathmandu. Do you go? Oh, gee, if I want to be in retail, you know, Premier Investments with yeah. Peter Alexander and Smiggle, or even Accent Group, performing better than that. JB Hi-Fi, sort of even Harvey Norman. Yeah. You know, is that, that the way you look at it? You can't have every retailer. So, if you have two right. or three in a sector, would that be in it? And what you're both telling me, no. We're, we're agnostic when it comes to sector weightings. We can rule out sectors altogether, but a lot of people like to have some exposure to certain sectors, and you want to go with the best yeah. one or two or three maximum right. of any sector. So in this situation, That's our right. argument would be that wouldn't tick the box. Yeah. Hamish, I've heard Hamish Douglas, uh, a lot of people know, fund manager here, he's, he talks yeah. about it like... like he's, a, the, he's the investment guru at Magellan. Yes. If there, if there was a rock star fund manager in Australia, it would be Hamish. <laughs> he's, he's got the profile, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And, right. and he's got this wonderful analogy, which is, is considering your portfolio like a sporting team, You've got yeah. all these players there on the bench. Which ones are you going to put on the field? So it's not yeah. a matter of saying, oh, Kathmandu is this awful retail. You'd never yeah. touch. It's, it's terrible. Well, as you say, it's it's a question of what are the best ones that yeah. are out there? I, I would, I'm with Michael. I, I, I really dislike the notion that people say, well, you must have some retail. You must have some gold. You must. I, I'd actually be more uh, puritanical on, on that sporting team analogy mm. and say, I don't really care what sector you come from. As long as these are the best, best investments yeah. I can find, Provided that it's not highly correlated, if they're all going to be susceptible to the right. same risk, you might want to worry so, about that. Not all tech stocks, for example. Well, even right, even yeah. in, it's interesting because you look at my portfolio; there's a lot of tech stocks in yeah. there. But I would very strongly argue that they actually very highly uncorrelated. They're, they're, they've got a technology uh, product, definitely technology yeah. companies, but the but the but the operations that they have, the products and services that they sell, vastly different to different customer sets, different geographies, mm. different risks. Okay. So. These high-level classifications can be a bit bit confusing. Okay, excellent. Really good uh, explanation, which which is why I love doing the call because I get to pick the brains of people like this. It's fabulous. Mm-hmm. On not just on particular stocks, but how you should approach your share investing. I reckon is really important. Um, Andrew Jason wants a view on generation development. Now it's a, a marketing management, life insurance, and life insurance products. Uh, group. Yeah, so it's an interesting one. So these guys yeah. do insurance bonds, which right. is probably for a lot of people a fairly esoteric investment product. And so old-fashioned. Yeah, <laughs> you, don't hear a lot, you don't hear a lot of them, but they're making a real push into this right, space. Okay. And the attraction is, particularly for high-income earners, is they're extraordinarily tax-effective. So yep. they, I think they pay a 30% tax along they the do. way, so you don't... Flat. So you don't, if, you're, if your personal tax rate is above that, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And if yeah. you hold your investment for 10 years, I think it's actually totally exempt from yes, any capital gains. It is. So it's a very, very attractive um, proposition. And Generation Development have actually been growing their, their funds under mm. management, their earnings really strongly uh, in recent times. So uh, profit growth in the most recent year up 25%. That's CAGED or 
compound annual growth rate there of about 50% uh, since uh, FY17. So it's been growing really, really strongly. Um, and they've, they've, they seem pretty confident they can continue to do that. A couple of things they're worth noticing. Uh, that financial services companies can be quite volatile. When times are good, they're really yeah. good, yeah. but that, that can swing. Um, uh, so that's, that's something to watch. Um, they've also made a very big acquisition or taken a big stake in Lonsec as well as a, a ratings uh, uh, oh. a research house there Was as well. Was that recent? Yes, very oh, really? recent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, two weeks. Um, a couple of weeks. My, oh, geez, I, I can't remember now, but, but certainly. So they're the ones that did it. Okay. Yeah, 37% yep. stake. So yep. that's going to help drive some more leads and, and et cetera. Because Lonsec also has a lot of tied financial planners to them yes. as well and educate mm -hmm. them into sticking their clients into investment. It's all about channels in this yes, sector. You know, there's, this, there's a sea of money out there and everyone's, everyone wants a piece of it. Yeah. So it's about funneling it in, in that direction. So if their product set can get more relevance, more widely accepted, there's potentially a long runway for growth here. Mm. I, I guess for me, it's a no at this stage only because it is, I'm a big believer in sort of staying away from things you don't understand well. And I haven't yet done the work to really understand this industry, these products uh, right. uh, particularly well. Another thing that you might gain from that chart there as well is that it's, it's pretty liquid stock. Yeah. You won't see many dollars traded each day. So that can just make it a bit trickier in terms of getting in and out and tends to sort of depress the multiple that markets are prepared to pay for that. But look, PE of 35, extremely strong growth, uh, ostensibly a good runway there. If mm. they can execute, it's probably cheap. That's interesting. Uh, go back to my days when I started Personal Investment Magazine back in the 90s and insurance bonds were the rage because uh, uh, this was before managed funds and all yeah. that, that sort of stuff. They were, yeah. they were a great tax incentive uh, investment to go into and yeah. haven't changed. They used to be called Stock, and that might sort of ring a few bells ah, for people right. which have been around for a bit yes. longer. Um, it's an interesting product. I think it's the second most tax effective product behind super. So yeah. that's why there is some appeal for it. Yeah. Um, they've been doing very, very well. Their market share has been growing relative to their peers. Uh, they've been seeing some good growth in terms of advisor numbers. They're now a more approved product list for a lot of financial planners. Yeah. Um, bond yields have come down a long way, which means bond prices have actually gone up, which that's helped their funds under management as well. So they've been in a very good position and they've capitalised on a favourable environment. Um, what doesn't really represent that is their balance sheet. You look at their balance sheet and it's not the prettiest balance sheet you've ever seen in your life. So you'd have to do a bit more work to try and understand why the two aren't marrying up at this stage. And it yeah. might be because they're going out doing big acquisitions like the Lonsec deal, which are you know, having an impact on the balance sheet, building up debt, those right. sorts of things. But at this stage, I just don't know enough about it uh, to make it a buy recommendation, but there's obviously traits about this company um, that are that are pretty attractive mm. from a long-term perspective. Aging population, the government incentives for income-based investments. Yep. Um, so yeah, there's stuff to, to like about that. But look at Challenger, that's had a similar sort of runway to, to growth and a similar sort of market position in a slightly different product and that hasn't done nearly as well or has also struggled. So you want to understand the real drivers sure. of the business and it okay. seems to be quite complex. All right, Jason, thank you for suggesting that one. Um, Clayton uh, wants a view, Michael, on EnviroSuite. It's uh, a tech company, a SaaS company, um, software as a service, but really focuses on environmental outputs of, um, of corporate customers measuring noise, air and uh, waste and pollution. This sort of goes to Andrew's point just from a moment ago. It's a, a software as a service business. So it's a tech company in theory, but it's servicing quite a niche area, mm. if you like. And it's very different to other tech software as a service type companies. Um, basically, it's a business that provides services to the construction industry, to the mining industry, to monitor all those environmental factors to ensure right. that they're not too noisy, not emitting too much waste um, and, and all those factors. And look, in this current environment, the mining sector is doing quite well. The construction sector is expected to get a boost from government and fiscal stimulus. So again, there are some traits about this company that are very, very attractive. It's only at the moment satisfying a small portion of their potential target markets. Um, they've got a pretty good balance sheet by the looks of it. They've got a good pipeline of potential customers and, and contracts coming through. So if they can execute on that, it should do quite well. But again, it's a business I'm not too familiar with. Yeah. Uh, it's probably the first time I've ever sort of read about it this morning. Right. Um, so it's not a company that I can come Quite a small company. That's right, very that, yeah. small at this stage. But 
seems like they're doing a lot of the right things. Uh, if they can just execute a little bit better and get some of those contracts over the line in this tough COVID environment for sales, then they should do quite well over time. But at the moment, it's got on my watch list, but not quite a buy. I'm glad to hear you say yeah. that. I was a bit nervous. Are you going first? Um, I'm, I'm a shareholder in Envirosuite. Yeah. Ah. I have been since 2018. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful little company, but it's, it's always one that's a bit hard to get a handle on because it's evolving so quickly. It used to be a, a consulting group way back in the day. They developed this tech in-house. They eventually shed the consulting business to focus purely on this. They're getting some really nice, uh, attractive organic growth. And recently they made what's probably best described as a reverse takeover, a huge acquisition of a company much larger than, than mm. them, EMS, uh, which has gotten them more into the uh, vibration management side of things. So there's a lot of these around airports okay. as well, which you might be a little bit worried about given what's happened with COVID uh, because airports no aren't, doing, aren't doing wonderful at the moment. But remarkably, their, their revenue from airports is held up really, really well. And the reason is that these are, these are regulatory requirements for airports. You, right. you, you have to monitor this kind of stuff. And what's really interesting about this, whether it's in noise or vibration or water or dust or smells, or they've got an electronic nose, for example, all these things, is that in the old days, you would have to send people out into the field. They would collect samples. They would be, come back. They would be analyzed. A report would be written up. These days, you've got all these Internet of Things sensors around the place. Okay. Virus, we don't produce them. They're hardware agnostic. They just plug in whatever's available on there in the market, and they can set up solutions for customers. But they point that all back to their platform. And so what that will do is give you real-time data on what's happening. Um, it will allow you to schedule uh, site mine closures and, and blasts and all of these kinds mm. of things. So the idea is that it actually gives you massive pr productivity savings, gives you a huge social license to operate, so you're not you know, blasting dust over a whole community because yep. of unfavorable wind conditions. Um, and, and what's interesting as well is a massive regulatory requirement for all of the sectors that they come in where there's just more and more pressure for, for corporates to act more responsibly yeah. and for that to be regulated. So and that's it, only going to get tighter. <laughs> I, I can't imagine it not. And, oh, and, no. and, and this, is, this is one of these, yes, a very tiny Aussie company, but a genuine world leader in this very, very small niche, yeah. but which is, which is more than $2 billion worth in market cap. So look, I, I can say a lot. I, I, think, I think they've got um, a, a lot of potential. They've re, uh, recently said and reiterated a few times, they're targeting $100 million in revenue uh, in, tw in just three years' time. Um, yeah, what are they doing now? Uh, they're doing, oh geez, I think it's about 57 on a pro rata right. basis okay. because of the acquisition that yeah, yeah. makes it a bit messy. So it's yeah. about 20% compound growth in, in that mm -hmm. stage with a 15% margin. Look, if they can hit that, shares are, are ridiculously cheap. And one thing that I thought was interesting, I don't think there's been much chatter on it, is that the, the board has set executive options here, which the CEO will only get if the share price is above 50 cents. Above 50? Maybe 20, and yes, it's now 20? 20 cents. Now, look, you might, might not get anywhere near it, but he actually goes all the way up. He gets a million shares if he hits that, then so much more if it's 75 cents and then more if it's at a dollar. Oh. So that's, it's a very ambitious target. A cynic would generally say that boards tend to set very easy targets yeah. for, for insiders. You know, it's all that sort of cozy insider stuff that people rightly get a bit concerned about. But if that's the case, you think, geez, that's a lofty target. If they can get even close to that, yeah. I, think, I think it looks interesting. After all of that, bear in mind this is Michael. This is uh, still loss making at this at this point in time. It is it is still uh, pretty risky. They've got fourteen percent of their revenues uh, in China. We saw what happened with Foslock yeah. yesterday yes. with some yeah. some accounting irregularities, yeah. uh, and there's there's some similar associations there. So that's a bit of a question mark. So so bear in mind this isn't something to have a major major holding in, in your portfolio. But right. I like it a lot. I've okay. got it's my number one pick on Strawman. All right. So you're saying for a punt, high risk. I'd I'd say it's it's more than a punt, but but going going knowing going knowing that you know, I want to get any emails when this is at thirteen cents as it was right. earlier this year because this as you've seen here this thing moves around. Yep. But this is about taking a right. five year view, uh, assuming the company right. can execute. So I'll put you down as a yes. Yes for me. Yes. For uh, me. Michael is a watch. I'm a watch. I can't give it a yes. I yeah, no, that's right enough. That's good. Fair enough. I can't get in the portfolio. All right. Um, Andrew Peter um, wants a view on Nearmap, which is, uh, uh, you could call it a, a tech company as well. It takes all the, the big landscape visions and for councils and yep. property developers. and uh, It shoots pictures of 
of land masses, basically. Think it got a bit of competition, though. It does. Yeah. It does. Um, think Google Maps, but yeah. on steroids. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the, the resolution is, is insane, and they, they update their images a lot. So they, they're used for professionals. As they, a, like people like solar company. contractors, for example, right. getting the, the lay of the roof angles and all of this from the comfort of an air-conditioned office. So yeah. it's definitely a very exciting space. It's definitely one where there is huge potential. I, I think they're a genuine market leader in this space, although there yeah. is, is competition. Um, so when you look at Nearmap, their sales have been growing really strongly for a long, for a long time. And it's, it's really encouraging, but they're still not profitable because right. they've had to continually increase their costs and research and development, new camera development, um, uh, extra salespeople. And that's just kept them in this loss-making position for yep. a while. So the, the, the hope here is with Nearmap is that it can actually do what we hope of so many sort of technology-based companies where you get that wonderful operating leverage where the sales keep growing but your costs don't grow as much. Mm. Unfortunately, we haven't seen that yet. Right. Having said all of that, a, a disclaimer again, I'm a shareholder, I have been since 2017, taken a bit off the table last year, but it... it um, since 2017, you've done all right out of it then. Uh, That's good. You know, I have. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have, but I think I think there's such a lesson in that there is because it, it it looks okay now, but I mean, what what uh, a linear chart like that will hide is just how much volatility there yes. was in the early stages, and I think yeah. it shows. I think the real value you have as a private investor is is having a longer time frame than a lot yeah. of the experts who yeah. are working to the they're they're, they're on KPIs. They're working to that the next six to twelve months, yeah. you know, yeah. type thing. If you can say. I think this business will be, again, you want some numbers around it, but materially more in three years' time, and you can sit through all of that. Provided they're executing along the way, your, the reward is immense. Yes. It just doesn't come straight away. Most of my gains come in the second or third year after I buy something. Right. Okay. But, but if, if you've done the work and you've got the patience, I think it's really big. So, so in, all, in regard to, to Nearmap, I think at this point in time, things got a bit crazy for a while. I think it's probably around fair value at this point yeah. in time. Not cheap, not expensive, but about right. It's actually one of the top 10 shorted stocks on the ASX. It has been so for a there's while. there's a lot of negativity yeah. out there. They probably got a little bit of a reward recently with the capital raising mm. that management are doing. Um, and this is a capital raising not too dissimilar to the one they did in 2018 before the, the price took off because that was meant to be the last capital raising until yeah. it would become profitable. But it's just hard in this particular industry because the technology progression is just so rapid that it's yeah. you're always sort of chasing the next best thing. And there is some competition emerging as well. So I just think it's going to be a little bit harder for them to deliver um, as much growth as they did in the past. Right. So the great business and going off a smaller job. base in the early That's days right. too. Smaller so. base at the, uh, at the early stages. Yeah. So this capital raisings repaired their balance sheet should alleviate any fears that any investors had about the balance sheet, but it's what they do and utilize that cash. And can right. they get the same bang for the buck as they did in 2018? when they went through a similar capital raising last time. So for mine, it's just sort of a, a watch and, and see right. sort of situation. Okay. Yep. Would you be buying at this level or just? Um, I, I can probably safe in saying yes here because unless, if I'm right, you say yes, it doesn't get added, yeah. to, the portfolio. <laughs> doesn't get added to the portfolio. I'm going to go yes. <laughs> All right, yes it is. All right, you can't start thinking like that. It doesn't matter whether it goes into the portfolio or not. Um, Michael, Miso Blast, talking about a company that has yeah. its ups and downs Talk, yeah. over a <laughs> seriously. The yeah. uh, regenerative uh, medicine company uh, provides treatments for inflammatory ailments, cardiovascular disease, back pain, and respiratory. So it's been playing playing the COVID yep. um, uh, thematic. And well, the big thing here, I think, is that Rema stem cell. Yes. Oh, good work. I, was yeah, yeah. I couldn't. I was just reading it there as he was giving the intro <laughs> just to make sure good I got work. it right. But basically, um, that approval is with the FDA and I think it comes yeah. out on the 30th of September. It's so getting it's close. A, getting it? really close. A week away. And yeah. if people are getting excited and, and taking their positions in many ways as they lead up to that decision. Uh, and it's a bit of a binary outcome in, in many ways. I mean, one business that I was heavily invested in going back a few years ago is Surtex Medical. Right. Um, they were doing different sort of trials, but they were in the more the liver cancer um, and, and some clinical trials that were going on there. And that was a, a very, very wild ride as well, you know, up 50%, down 50%. And eventually they got bought out and, and got it over the line, so to speak. But Mesoblast has a few different clinical trials running at the moment across a number of different uh, ailments. Um, yeah. They all seem quite promising. Uh, this particular one due out on the 30th of September looks very promising. So if they can deliver that, 
then they're on the right path to commercializing and finally becoming profitable and generating revenue and all those sorts of things. But it's a highly speculative company. In many ways, some binary outcomes at play. So for that reason, it's not one that we invest in. Okay. Yeah, too too speculative. I mean, it's the kind of company you love that's out there. You know, I'm so glad that there is money being invested into these all important areas of of, of medical research. But for an investor's point of view, as Michael said, it can be very binary. You know, um, look, they... they, they By that you mean, if the FDA go, nah, what your price? Yeah. There's only one way for it to go. <laughs> Could go 50%. Yeah, if more, if the FDA um, in America goes, yes, and I think it is a stage... Three, yeah, I think it's like the final, the final, the final, final one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it could start. Even off. The, even then, what's interesting about it is that it's on. If I did my numbers right, it's on sixty times sales. So there's there there seems to be, and you see so, from the price so there, not not earnings, sales, sixty times sales. sales. Right. Now right. there's a lot of you know on, that's on a trailing basis. Looking forward, yeah. it's probably a lot more palatable, but. But you, you could argue that a lot of this optimism seems to be priced in, and that's what the chart's sort of showing there, yeah. is, is that there, there is this expectation that it will go through. So you get a, a situation where uh, they do get it through, and I'm sure it will be good for the price, but maybe mm. a lot of that upside is captured. Yeah. I'm, always, I'm always banging on about this asymmetry in investment returns, and you don't want something where if I flip heads, I get 10%. If I flip tails, I lose 50%. That's yeah. a bad odds. You want something where it's, Monish Pabrai talks about all the time. You know, heads I win, tails I don't lose too much. You want a you want a you want a biased you want a biased coin. And and I think yeah. for, for for companies like this, it's that that asymmetry is just really against you. Yeah. You yeah. know, it, it's probably going to go through. It's probably going to go through. But but if are you that confident? Yeah. For it, okay. I, I don't know. Not for me. All right. Okay. Um, what about Micro X? Is that for you, uh, Andrew? Jim wants a view on it. There in the design, development and manufacture of ultra lightweight carbon nanotube uh, based X-ray products for, again, another health tech and interesting business. I'd never heard of it. Yeah. And then um, when I got the heads up that we we're going to talk about it, I started having a look and I went way down the rabbit hole on this. It was, it's a fascinating business. <laughs> so they, they produce these, as you say, X-ray tubes. The, 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 I think it was the CEO described it as, you know, we're the LED of X-ray, whereas the old guys are sort of the incandescent light bulbs. You know, right. the way that they generate these X-rays is is smaller, it's more cost-effective, it's mm. lighter. Um, so it's a really exciting technology, and obviously the market potential here is huge. Not just in medical, but things like baggage scanners and security and all of this other kind of stuff. So, mm. super exciting product. Um, it seems really interesting, but it is so early stage. They made two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, million thousand dollars in in um, uh, sales last quarter. So on a one million right. run rate, there. There's not much cash left. They've got some products that are out there. They've got some other ones that are hoping to hit the market. They had to sort of rejig around some of their manufacturing. There were some hiccups there that have sort of delayed things. But it's one for me that what I, I'm not afraid of buying unprofitable companies. In fact, some really interesting opportunities can happen there. But you want to see them on a path to right. profitability. And, and for yep. me, it's, it's something I would be very interested to keep on a, on a watch list. Um, but at this stage, it's just too early stage. Okay. And you, and you look at that... What listed at sixty cents by the look of it? Um, there might have been a reverse, uh, oh, reverse a listing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not hundred percent yep. sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to add much extra to Andrew. Look, basically, great technology, great product, um, but the business is in its infancy at this stage, and the balance sheet looks horrendous. I think they've even got a fair bit of debt on the balance sheet, which is uncommon for companies that are in this early stage. Um, but if they can pull it off, uh, then they'll make rivers of gold but that's just anyone's guess at the moment they could well run out of money before that occurs yeah or someone else could develop the technology so they want to be quick in getting it to market as quick as possible but that's a process in of itself and basically what uh, correct me if i'm wrong what you guys are saying is really interesting company to keep yeah. following but if you're going to put your hard-earned cash into yeah. it uh there are better opportunities elsewhere. 100%. Wishing them well, yes, and yeah. hopefully they put because we love. And that's why I love doing the call because these sorts of companies come up and you go, yeah. "Wow, that's fabulous yeah. and good on the Australian markets yeah. uh, for providing capital to develop it." Well, and, and often I speak to clients who come up with these ideas, which they pick up from who knows where. And the whole point that I make to them is, look, the company is listed for a reason. Yeah. You know, there's an exciting proposition there. They've obviously had success in raising capital at some point in the past. 
So there's a reason that it's there, but it's very easy to get caught up in the story. Yeah. But at some point, you want to see the business become yeah. investable. And at this point, it's just not in this case. And you want a return on your money. That's You've right. got to have, that's what we're here for. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, that, at the end of the day, and, yeah, yeah. and unfortunately, um, particularly for people who are new to the market, it, it's it's what, what you call story stocks. Yeah. What, super sexy, you know, perhaps in a fast growing area. Well, what have we had, you know, let us count the ways in yeah. recent <laughs> times. You've had you know, things like AI and machine learning. Yeah. You've had things like lithium. There was graphene was super sexy yeah. there for a while. Medical yeah. marijuana. Medical <laughs> marijuana, of course, you know, and, 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 and there's legitimately good reason to be excited about these industries on a long, on a holistic long-term basis. But what we also know is that of, of the hundred companies that sort of start down these these new exciting industries, 99% will fail, or 90% will fail. So, so you you have to bring it back to a to an investment decision. Yeah. What what are the cash flows going to look yeah. like, and when are they going to yeah. come? And as a, they're not charities, you're not going to get a 15. You know, uh, a tax deduction on the no. donations. <laughs> no. So you've got to make it work for you. Yes. All right, let's recap the uh, the first f five stocks in our stock of the day, which was Katmandu, the retailer. No from both Andrew and Michael because there are just better retailers out there doing a whole lot better than Katmandu. Uh, generation development, a no. Uh, EnviroSuite, um, a yes from Andrew. He knows a lot about the business, has been invested for a while. Uh, Michael's going to be watching it co closely. Uh, near map a no from Michael, a yes from Andrew. Um, Mesoblast, just too, too, too volatile uh, for all of us. Uh, you know, you get the ticker racing. Why? No, um, is the whole thing. And MicroX, um, uh, really good story, uh, and we'll watch it, but too small and too early at this stage. Uh, here on the call, um, of course, we're tracking our own portfolio, the call portfolio. Any stocks that get two thumbs up from our expert panel on any given day go into the portfolio. Uh, let's see how we're going on it. We're down 1.4% the portfolio for the week, uh, down almost 2% for the month. Um, and up almost 8% since the 1st of July. We'll keep updating it. Uh, if you want to take a look at the stocks in the portfolio, you can. Um, but some of the ones that were re recently added, BHP, um, Iris, uh, Thorny Technologies, um, Eagers Automotive and AVA Risk Group, and recently Zero uh, was one that was in the portfolio. If it comes up again, on the call and it doesn't get a unanimous yes, it goes out again. And the whole reason we do that is that's what investing's about. Things change all of the time and you've got to keep up to date. If you want to check out the whole portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Um, also uh, coming up on The Pulse, just after one o'clock, uh, Chief Executive Daniel Foggo uh, joins the team as his company Plenty launches on the ASX that's in the next hour right here on Ausbiz. Stick around for that. All right, let's get into the, uh, ha had a couple of small businesses, uh, listed stocks. Now we're going to go the other end of the, end of the scale, Michael. Uh, Unibail, Rodanco, Westfield. Um, uh, Centre Group in Australia basically runs all the massive Westfield shopping centres. This stock runs all the overseas ones, doesn't it, in, uh, throughout Europe and the United States. Uh, talk about good timing from the lowies. I mean, this time last year basically is when the new iteration of Westfield hit the hit the indices. Um, that was around ten, eleven dollars. It's now down around two dollars fifty. So they exited at the perfect time. No one would have ever foreseen the whole COVID thing coming about. But in life, you've got to make your own luck, they say. Mm. But look, this is a business that's going to do it. I think pretty tough for the foreseeable future. They're one of the largest uh, REITs in the world with a primary focus on shopping centres. There's no doubt that rents will be under significant pressure in basically every single one of their shopping yeah. centres at the moment. Uh, and going forward, it's no guarantee that the sort of rate terms or the rental terms that people have got used to will continue. The whole sort of 4% year after year growth on your rents is probably behind us. Things could well be now revenue linked going forward. What's the impact going to be on Westfield? Who knows at this point? So. From my perspective, it's just in the too hard basket. Um, I think it's looking pretty good on terms of a deep value play and a bit of a turnaround if you were that way inclined, but I'd rather see that turnaround yeah. story start to turn around first uh, before piling the money into it. See, so look at that, 11, oh, yeah, 11 two bucks. Two years ago, that's it. 
two years ago, 15 bucks, mm. now $2.65. The real estate yeah. is massive, but then you have Boris Johnson putting the UK back into lockdown overnight, yeah. and it looks as though France is going to happen because everyone had a party in the European summer and now everyone's dying from it. Mm. Um, it's just extraordinary the yeah. way they've let it get out of control there. Yeah. And shopping centres are the big cases. Yeah, one of them on well. the front line. And again, yeah. it comes back to this point. You know, you, you go back a little bit there and we all saw these curves falling down and hooray, we're back yeah. to normal. And that, that, that um, lax, laxadaisal, laxadaisal nature just really just saw it back where we started from. Who knows if that happens again a third time or fourth yeah. time? I don't know. So again, it's, it's, it's way too hard. Definitely got some great quality assets yeah. in there. Huge. Um, if you look at it on a, a sort of a net tangible asset per share kind of thing, it's around about $2, I think. So there's, but you know, will those assets get revalued? Yeah. Uh, be yeah, write downs, uh, yeah. you know, that, and that's almost in, inevitable if, if, as Michael's saying, you know, revenues are going to shrink and they don't have the same yeah. cash generative ability anymore. So yeah, look, there's, 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 people are right, I think, when they get interested in stocks that have, that ostensibly good quality businesses that have fallen hard. They're, they're, and this is a good quality business. Yeah, look, there's, you know, again, there's really exceptional circumstances, but yeah, yeah. sure, there's, there's really great quality assets there. But, you know, there is that old saying that turnarounds rarely turn. Um, and even when they do, they can take a lot longer than you expect. So for me, I would, like Michael, I'd want to see some evidence of, of, of things picking back up again. Okay. And I really do doubt we go back to normal as we understood mm. it before. I think mm. it'll be a, a hackneyed phrase, but a new normal going forward yep. with a lot of these things. So. Yep. Okay. All right. Um, thank you for that suggestion, Sam. Maddie, uh, Andrew wants a view on Appen. Uh, mm. Provides um, uh, data for machine learning and Artificial intelligence products. One of our uh, is it the A in the Wallachs? The wax. Uh, the wax. The wax. The wax index. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It really, I mean, a phenomenal business, and you'll see the chart in a minute. But it's it's had a horrendous shocker of a month. Shares oh, no. are down twenty five percent. But this is where context matters, I think. You know, and and, and I'm I'm glad the guys have put up this chart here because what it shows is is that it's up. Well, it's up by forty five percent just since since January. It's up about 500% in the last three years. Yeah. Um, and you will see that, again, linear uh, logarithmic charts are a bit more revealing here because it looks as though nothing happened for a few years and then things got volatile. Yeah. It's just masked by a scaling effects. Yeah. And, and that yeah. is normal. And what happened here is I think Appen just ran ahead of itself. Like so many tech stocks did in that, that post-COVID, initial COVID sell-off bounce back. Um, and they had some excellent results. Revenue was up 25% in the most recent half. Their EBITDA, their operating profit was up 35%. You know, and they've grown at incredibly strong rates for a long time. They're expecting um, really strong 25-35% uh, growth in EBITDA this year as well. Okay. Good market position, much more diversified client base, very strong tailwinds there. So I actually think that this isn't a case of it's falling, there's something really bad happening. It's probably more just correcting a previous irrationality on the market. Right. Um, if you go to straw man, it ranks pretty highly there. My valuation actually pegs it at about fair value. You know, it's actually come back to a point where I'm now, I'm now um, starting to get interested. Okay. Generally, you like a little bit of a margin of safety, but I, I, as I say, I think it's at about a fair value. And um, for those with a long-term view, I think you could probably do okay at this point. Okay, and got a good future, well run. I think so, yeah, okay. yeah. All right. um, it's a business that we were invested in a few years ago. Uh, sold out last time, it was around the $30 mark. It initially fell, then went a lot higher than that. We looked like idiots. It's, it's <laughs> now come back to, to 30. We'll probably start to have a look at it uh, again. But I think I said this as well sort of last time. Basically, this business, although it's a tech company, it, there is a lot of manual labor involved in this company. And it's got great clients. Nine out of 10 of the biggest tech companies in the world, your, your Microsofts, your Facebooks, are their clients. They rely on AI. AI only works as well as the data that you put in and you feed into it and needs to be constantly be renewed. So Appen right. provides them with that high quality data, but there's a lot of people sitting in rooms all over the world, you know, marking that this red sign is a stop sign. And then they feed that into the system or, or this comment should read like this in an automated text or something. So there's a lot of manual feeding right. of labor and it's not as scalable as many people think. Um, but they are the best of breed and there'll be a, a place for them. They'll continue to do well. But it shouldn't trade on the same multiples as some of these other high-flying tech stocks. And people need to sort of understand mm -hmm. that. Um, if it does fall back below 30 and, and towards that 27, 25 level, it's definitely something we'll look at. But at the moment, it's still probably a little bit too expensive. Um, 
And as we've seen, there's a bit of rotation maybe going on away from some of these high-flying tech growth names yeah. into some other names. And if that continues, companies like Appen will bear the brunt of that. Right. Okay. All right. Uh, our next uh, suggestion comes from Shelley. Thank you for that, Shelley. And Michael wants a view on Cenex Energy, um, which is uh, uh, a gas, basically a gas supply, and in the last couple of days has done a, uh, a deal with Queensland uh, out of its um, Atlas project. Yeah, so basically it's got a, become a preferred tender for these new gas fields that are being released by the government, um, which will be a bolt-on to their current most valuable asset. So that will increase their, their most, the value of their most valuable assets significantly um, and the scale of their reserves, etc. So it should be quite a good thing for the company if they are finally approved as the owner of those new assets. But again, look, ultimately, it's reliant on the energy prices. Compared to its peers in the energy space, Cenex has done incredibly well in the last sort of year or so. So it's obviously doing something right. It's got some very high quality assets. I think its costs of production are pretty, pretty low. But again, it's going to be determined by primarily the, the moves in the gas price right. and the oil price. The <clears> two are sort of linked with a bit of a lag. So okay. from my perspective, it's a bit too cyclical. But if I was to pick one in the energy space, this is probably the, the top pick from mine. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to agree again. Yeah, it's, it's not my bag, but, but yeah, you could do far worse. Um, I think they're set to increase or triple their gas output in the next few years yeah. from the Surat yeah. Basin, um, which if they can do, and just having a quick look at the forecast for whatever value there is in that, just from what, what has been tallied together by Morningstar, it's, they're sort of calling for about three cents per share in earnings um, in, a, in another two, three years, which if they can achieve, actually mm. actually makes them pretty attractive. But the, the, the thing that's interesting here is they, they sort of reporting, I think it was a big 50% jump in EBITDA and the rest of it, but the statutory profit's been, well, it's been in the red for a long, long time. Yeah. There's often big write-downs of capitalised exploration costs and asset carrying values and so it's just, it, it, people talk about it a lot and for a good reason. The capital intensive nature of these businesses makes it hard because even when you do get some really good returns on some of your past investments, it gets ploughed back into the mm. next one. They're very, very big projects. They take years. There's often cost blowouts. The underlying economics of the industry can change or you know, commodity prices. So it's just, it's all very, very uh, uh, hard for me. Right. And I tend to stay away from it for that okay. reason. All right. Um, now, we've got to, got to finish off today with a couple of gold um, uh, gold companies and Andrew Chalice Gold Mines. Uh, Tim wants a view on this. Uh, the company's key projects um, around the Bendigo area in Victoria. Mm. Um, they've also got one in Quebec as well. So. Yeah. Um, so I, I wasn't, wasn't familiar with them, but yeah, they've got sales. Um, they're going really well in recent years. Um, I don't think they've made a profit yet, but you know, sales going in the right direction. Um, shares though are up tenfold. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, a thousand percent um, in, in, since the start of the year. And the reason is, is they made this really big discovery, yeah. which looks really attractive and seems to have been firmed up as well. So people rightly get excited about that. I think sometimes that momentum carries things beyond what is perhaps uh, reasonable. It's now a $700 million uh, company. Um, what was interesting about just having a look at some of their, um, their slides, there's, there's a history here of sort of developing and then selling mines. And they've actually, they've actually um, uh, sent some capital back to, to shareholder, you know. So yep. it's, 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 it's very easy to bash the, the, the miners. Yeah. Um, but, but this one looks as though it's got a lot, a lot more credibility than most. Um, it, it's not for me for, for reasons I stated before, but you know, credit, yeah. credit where it's due. I, I, would just, I, would, I would just caution... Um, uh, Tim, I think it was, who yes. asked the question. Yep. And a lot of people tend to sort of see this. They, they see this explosion and there's a lot of FOMO that goes in. Wow, you know, it's gone up this, this much and I, want, I don't want to miss out on any further yeah. gains. But, but trees do not grow to the sky. Yeah. Um, and, and remember that although it's, it's nice to see that and really nice to experience it, that, that you, it's, there's a danger in extrapolating that out yeah. forever. Particularly getting in at, at the peak. As well, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, this is one gold company where you're not investing in it because you think the gold price is going to go higher and production is going to increase and that sort of thing. This is basically an asset trader, this type of company. They've got some very high quality assets. They've had a great discovery recently where they flew a few helicopters over a patch of land and some of the readings that they got back were a lot better than anyone was anticipating. And that was the next leg up that they've had recently. 
but ultimately they're going to have to convert those resources um, into mines that are producing gold. What's the gold price going to be like by the time that happens? Will this company even take it all the way? Will they sell it off like they have with other assets in the past? There's a lot to go into it and it's hard to buy something when it's run up like that because there's a lot of positivity already embedded into the price. So there's a number of factors. The gold price, the execution risk is another thing. So just be careful if you're jumping in at the moment. Yeah. And Andrew, from what you were saying, the history is they maybe don't tend to take them to to the mining stage. They try and sell the uh, yeah. f- firm it up. It's like getting a um, a young horse and that's sort right. of then flop flop flop. That's got all the bloodlines, but then flogging it to somebody else to see if it actually can perform. I think like Beach Petroleum is another popular energy stock everyone looks at. That company's made far more through their history through trading their through assets trade, yeah. rather than actually producing okay. any energy. I think it's yeah. so, yeah. and it could be quite a good way to actually make money in this game because often yeah. the riskiest part is in the development stage. Right. Okay. Yep. All right, um, Michael. Uh, Jenny wants a view on Remelius Resources again. Mm-hmm. Another another gold miner with the the ma- uh, Magnet Gold Mine is their uh, is their star uh, performer, if you like, but uh, also has other developments in Australia and also the US. So this is a more conventional gold investment, if you like, where this is the company that's got a lot of production going at the moment. Um, They're based primarily in Australia, I think it is, in WA. The gold price has been very, very strong. And the reality is if if you're a gold producer and you can't do well in this environment, you'll probably (laughs) never do well. So it's probably a good thing that the chart looks like that. Um, Whether or not it continues is probably anyone's guess. Um, It's ultimately relying on the gold price. They've got a, a fairly low cost of production, or they've at least been getting their cost of production down. Yeah. Uh, and that often helps when you've got a rising gold price because your margins continue to expand. But what is the mine life like? That's always a question you need to ask because um, as the, the ore diminishes, the grades that you get tends to diminish as well. So just, yeah, look, it's a, it's a play on the gold. But our yeah. preference in the gold yeah. space has been for Northern Star Resources, Evolution Mining and Saracens. Um, this Romelius is a much smaller mine, uh, but it's still been pretty productive and a pretty good period for it, considering uh, the gold price. Yep. Andrew? Yeah, I mean, again, these, these guys are in a different class to a lot of the sort of more speculative exploration kind of companies, um, sales and earnings, and um, seem to be executing well, so, so credit to them. I think the P is about 15 or so, which doesn't seem too too extreme but as Michael said there's just a lot of uncertainty with yeah. with all of that kind of stuff so unfortunately I'm going to cut and paste a lot of my other uh, <laughs> answers there I, I guess what, for what I what I have um, difficulty with is that I, I just going back to a more fundamental level is is like how do you predict the price of gold or how do you have how do you value gold how do you, you say the gold price at the moment do you know like it's all commodities are hard but like Copper, there's a great industrial use yeah, for. Yeah. Uh, lead, iron, or yeah. all of this kind. Of, what do we use gold for? Yeah. Well, there's a bit of jewellery, a bit in dentistry, yeah, yeah. some in satellites. But I forget the stat, but I think the vast majority of gold that we dig up, we bury in vaults yeah. underground again. <laughs> yeah, and it sits yeah, yeah. there. So I, I guess I, have a, I, I just have this trouble. Under, like, it, it, is, it is valued on sentiment. Yeah. And, and, and so what you're really trying to do... So if people well, the gold are, bugs would say store of value and... Safe haven, all that. Well, sort that, of thing, that's what they? Bitcoin people say as well, and they're right. And it, it, it's it's a, it is a store of value, but that value is only on what we all agree on. Jeez, you're comparing gold to Bitcoin. I am. You're I'm, gonna putting, I'm people, doing it out there. You're going to be gold bugs coming for you. Oh yeah, they hate I reckon. Me. <laughs> In the next couple of days, well, it's, it's, we have a shared. We we have this. No, Histori- go back way into the ancient past. It was a very rare metal, yeah. you know, and it didn't yeah. it didn't rust or anything. So it was a, it was a great store of value. But but these days, it, there's far more of a psychological subjectivity to it than yeah. anything that you can base around objectively, like cash flows or you know um, uh, use in, in in end products and this kind of stuff. So it, it's not to say that it's just not for me. Is all I'm saying. Yeah. And I think as an investor, you have to be very comfortable with what you're good at, what you understand, and recognize yeah. that if you're like me, most things you won't understand, and that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Put it into the too hard basket and focus on, does, you know, stick to your Does Medallion have a house view on gold? Yeah, we, we have clients in gold, um, just as again, a bit of a uncorrelated hedge to the market. Yeah. And it's, I think it's a view as well on bond yields. In, in recent times, as bond yields have gravitated towards zero, the gold prices tended to rally because wow. 
once upon a time, why invest in gold when you could put your money in a US 10-year treasury and get 5%? Well, these days, you're not getting any yield on gold, obviously, you're not getting any yield on your treasuries. So it becomes a like for like or right. more of a like for like at the margin yeah. and almost like another form of currency or a place to put your money without incurring negative rates as you would in Europe. So I think that's definitely been a factor that's supported the gold price. But whether or not it's a hedge against inflation, I think that's been disproven. It's just, yeah. it sort of beats to its own drum and it's purely an emotional sentiment yeah. thing more often than not. And a lot of the gold bugs are the doom and the doomsayers, yeah. aren't they? Saying oh, money's going to be worth useless. Uh, they'll bring up the charts yeah. of the depression or Can uh, I, Germany just yeah. after the war with wheelbarrow loads of yeah, that's uh, right. Uh, it's interesting uh, notes that, and go gold your protection against that weather. That weather if we go, if we're starting living on Fury Road in Mad Max end of days, <laughs> the, the the real commodity is going to be of value as a shotgun, right? Yeah. So if I've got a pile of gold there, someone's just going to give it to me. Okay. You know? so, so buy. Smith & Wesson. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you for that, uh, Jenny. Good discussion. Let's just recap our final five stocks on the call today. Unibail, Rodamco, uh, a no from both uh, Michael and, uh, and Andrew. Because great shopping centres, great assets. But hey, just you have no idea what's going to happen in Europe and the United States in the next six months in terms of shopping where they're all tending to go into lockdown again. Uh, Appen, um, Andrew's an investor in it and likes it, a fair value at this level. Not an investor, sorry, at present. Uh, 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 no, but, but no, I don't have any shares at right, present. No, no, no. no. But Not I think it's present. looking interesting. Yeah. Uh, is it fair value? Yep. Um, Michael's a bit greedy of saying if it gets to 25 or $30, then that would be good <laughs> value. Why not? Cenex uh, a no, uh, Chalice Gold a no, and Romelius a no as well. Um, Andrew Page from Strawman, great to see you again. Thanks, Koshi. Michael Wayne from here. Medallion. Thanks, Koshi. Great to see you as well. Um, coming up, if you want to send us any suggestions uh, for the call, you can just email them to us, uh, the call at osbiz.com.au. Uh, and uh, if you want to send them through Twitter, Twitter use the at TV Twitter handle. Um, if you want to catch up with everything that's happened in the day and flying hands at the end of the day, you need to subscribe to uh, the COB. Um, you can um, uh, subscribe through osbiz.co slash join Scuddy and Nadine will have everything that's been happening during the day in your inbox at 5.30 Eastern every evening. And uh, between two and three, of course, we have the Startup Daily Show. The team brings you all of the latest capital raisings and that startup scale-up sector. Uh, today they're being joined by Chanel Sharma uh, from uh, PropTech company Transactor is currently fundraising through crowdfunding platform VentureCrowd that's coming up on Startup Daily between 2 and 3 p.m. So as you can see, a lot more of Ausbiz throughout the afternoon. Enjoy. We'll see you at the same time tomorrow at midday Eastern for the call. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.